Today's episode is sponsored by Airflow Breast Pumps. Did you know that your health insurance will cover the cost of a breast pump? It is true, guys. I promise. In fact, many health insurance plans also cover milk storage bags, breastfeeding prep courses, and more. At Airflow Breast Pumps, you can shop top-rated breast pumps from brands like Medela, Spectra, and Motif without ever opening your wallet. Fill out their quick and easy insurance eligibility form, and they'll take care of the rest. It might just be the easiest thing that you do during your whole pregnancy. Just visit airflowbreastpumps.com slash mommy labor nurse. That's A-E-R-O-F-L-O-W breastpumps.com slash mommy labor nurse to find out why more than 1 million moms have chosen Airflow Breast Pumps to get their pump through insurance. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, we have a Q&A style episode that's all about the third trimester based on questions that you asked over on my Instagram stories. First and foremost, a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you who submitted your questions. I was really overwhelmed by the incredible response, hundreds of submissions pouring in, and I'm so excited to address some of these most frequently asked questions today on the show. The third trimester is definitely a transformative time, but it also brings its fair share of uncertainties, questions, discomforts, lots of things from bracing for labor and delivery to nesting. I had a lot of nesting (laughs) and everything in between. I got you covered today. I handpicked a selection of your most commonly asked questions to create this episode that's bursting with helpful information and practical advice. I'm here to support you through these final weeks of pregnancy and ensure you're feeling confident and prepared for the journey ahead. Whether you're a first-time mom or a seasoned pro, I know that every pregnancy is unique, and that's why this episode is tailored to address a variety of questions and concerns that pregnant mamas just like you are facing right now. For now, buckle up, grab a cozy seat, and get ready to dive in. I have 12 questions here in front of me, and they are all over the place. I'm excited. Let's get into the first one. The first one is about kick counts and it says kick counts, are they a good or a bad idea? And I hope if you've listened to a few episodes of the podcast, I've talked about kick counts a lot. So I hope you know the answer to this question, but yes, kick counts are definitely a good idea. They help you monitor your baby's activity and well-being, and they help you just get to know your baby's normal. It's important to count your baby's movements at the same time each day. And like I've said previously, if you notice a really, really big change or a decrease, mainly a change, let your provider know. So if you sit down one day 
and you know they're hitting that 10 kick counts every by 15 20 minutes every time you have a real active baby but today you sit down and it's taken like 60 minutes 70 minutes you're like um I'm feeling like this is taking a lot longer even though they are meeting that 10 kicks in 2 hours standard that we say is correct per ACOG 10 kicks in 60 minutes is much different for you if you're used to feeling your baby kick you 10 times in 10 minutes each and every single day. So yes, the answer to this question is definitely good, good, good idea. Always do kick counts. A big question I get when I talk about kick counts is like, when am I supposed to even start kick counts? I just started feeling my baby move and some days they move and some days they don't and some of it's all over the place. So this is common when you first start to feel your baby move. Sometimes it's usually around that 20 week mark. You'll start to feel kind of flutters and some days you might feel them. Some days you might not, but they should progressively start getting more regular. Okay. You should start to pick up a pattern with your baby's movements by 26 to 28 weeks. It used to be, hey, once you hit 28 weeks, and that's when you start kick counts, but that's not really the standard anymore, okay? If you are starting to recognize that your baby does have a pattern and you are 26 and a half weeks or, you know, something, then you can start doing kick counts. Okay, moving on to the next question. This one is about fetal hiccups. I feel my baby have hiccups two to four times a day over the last two weeks. Yeah, this is a good question. Let's first start off with talking about what hiccups even are. Fetal hiccups or adult child out of the womb hiccups. They're both the same, okay? (laughs) So there are two parts to a hiccup. The first is this involuntary movement of your diaphragm. And your diaphragm is that muscle that is at the base of your lungs. And it's the main muscle that you use to breathe. And the second part of your hiccup is a quick closure of your vocal cords. That's what causes the, you hear that? That's like when your vocal cords close really, really fast, it makes that sound. And hiccups happen because that muscle, that diaphragm is controlled by nerves and something stimulates those nerves and kind of triggers them to go like into this hyperactive state. Could be that you were eating a meal a little bit too fast, you were drinking like soda, something with bubbles, you're bloated, certain medications, you ate some spicy food, like there's all this stuff that can just cause those nerves to be stimulated in that way. So those are what hiccups even are. So now fetal hiccups, are they of concern? They are not, but I will kind of give a caveat here. Remember we just talked about fetal movements and how important those are. Hiccups do not count as a fetal movement. So there's that. And there's also this theory slash myth really that has associated fetal hiccups, like an increase in fetal hiccups with something called umbilical cord compression. The theory is based on an old animal study from 2012, and it suggested that hiccups in utero might be caused by compression of the umbilical cord. And this scientist's possible explanation is that the hiccuping might make a fetus move away from the cord. So it's like a movement that they're doing to try and move them away from the cord. So hopefully there's less compression on the cord and that would relieve the compression, return the blood flow back to normal. But here's the problem with that theory. If that were true, we would be seeing that a lot more with babies who we already know have umbilical cord compression issues. And that is not happening currently. So 
What I will say about hiccups is if you are counting hiccups along with your kick counts, don't do that. So if you're having increased hiccups in absence of fetal movement, yes, absolutely, that is an issue and you need to see your provider about it. But if your baby is continuing to meet their kick counts in a normal way for you and your baby's having a lot of hiccups, just because they are hiccuping more does not suggest that there is something wrong. Now, I will say, you know your baby better than I do. So if you're like, yeah, Liesl, but I still want to get it checked out, go get it checked out. That's what I have to say about that. Are you a third trimester mama that's wondering what you should actually be doing to get prepared for birth and baby? What if I told you I have a free third trimester prep pack to take the guesswork away? It's true. Inside of this jam-packed set of printable PDFs, you'll get instant access to our super popular hospital bag checklist, birth plan templates created by my team of L&D nurses, a third trimester to-do list with over 20 different things on it, my exclusive list of postpartum essentials, and more. It's an instant free pregnancy planner to get and keep you on track in your third trimester. To grab the third trimester prep pack for free, simply head over to mommylabornurse.com slash third trimester. That's mommylabornurse.com slash T-H-I-R-D trimester for your free third trimester prep pack. All right, question number three, growth scans. How accurate are they? Yes. Growth scans are much more accurate than they used to be, and I will say growth scans are very accurate in the first trimester, but once we get to the third trimester, the accuracy does decrease a bit. Where they are accurate is if you are checking your fundal height every single week, and then let's say one week, two weeks go by, and your fundal height isn't changing, and your provider's like, hmm let's get a growth scan and see if everything's doing okay with baby. They're growing appropriately based on how they were at the last ultrasound and where they are in relation to what your fundal height is telling me. That's where they are accurate is looking at that trend. Where they aren't as accurate is if you are 40 weeks pregnant and you haven't had an ultrasound since 20 weeks and you have a growth ultrasound and they say, you have a very large baby in there. It's looking like this baby's going to be nine pounds. But the truth is that even when the measurements are precise, extremely precise, the estimated weight when baby comes out can be different from baby's real weight, plus or minus a pound. And I would argue that it's probably more than that. Along with growth scans comes the argument of, is my baby too big for a vaginal delivery? And what I have to say about that is that people can still deliver large babies vaginally. The weight and size of your baby does not determine how likely you are to have a successful vaginal delivery. There's a lot of other factors at play here. So if that is solely maybe the reasoning why your provider is suggesting that you should not have a vaginal delivery and you should have a C-section, then I would certainly question that. If there's other things at play, say you have gestational diabetes, you have something else going on, and also it's looking like your growth scan, this is going to be a large baby, we're recommending a C-section for XYZ, okay, that's a different discussion. But if you've never had a growth scan before and you randomly have one at 40 weeks, and you've been banking on a vaginal delivery and your provider looks at it and he's like, oh my gosh, this baby's going to be large. Let's have a C-section. I would definitely question that. Moving on to question number four. 
Can your mucus plug regenerate? Yes, it can. Can you even believe it? That is definitely a thing. Your mucus plug is not this thing that just stays there until the end and 100% of the time it falls out this way and it never grows back. If it's lost early in pregnancy, it certainly can grow back. It might not, but it certainly can. It's like this protective barrier, okay, around your cervix, kind of surrounding it and inside your cervix. And just because you lost it early in pregnancy doesn't mean that it's never going to come back again. If you do lose it early in pregnancy, that is a sign that something could be going on. So I definitely would reach out to your provider and say, hey, I think I lost my mucus plug and I'm only 32 weeks pregnant, whatever. That could be a sign that you are going into preterm labor or like something else is going on, right? But there are definitely a handful of times when people lose it very early or they lose like pieces of it. Maybe it's not the whole thing that comes out, but they lose like pieces of it and then it just regrows. Okay, number five, do plan C-section moms need to be tested for GBS. What I have to say about this is if you are 100% certain I'm having a plan C-section, there is absolutely no way that I am not having a plan C-section. Technically, yeah, you don't really need a GBS swap, okay? Because if you have a C-section, there's really no risk that your baby would go through your vagina. And that is how we pick up that flora if you were positive for GBS. But what I will say to this is, as much as you think that you will have a plan C-section, it is set in stone. There are cases that, especially if it's your second or third or however many times, baby, that you go into labor and it happens very fast and you show up at the hospital and you don't have a plan C-section, you have a vaginal delivery. So if that happens, it is a good idea just to know your GBS status. Because if it is positive, then we know, okay, she had a vaginal delivery. She's positive for GBS. She didn't get her antibiotics because she came to the hospital really fast and there was no time for antibiotics, right? But she was positive for GBS. We just know that this is something, you know, signs and symptoms we want to look out for with baby. All right, number six, morning sickness. Can it return? I'm sorry to say that it can. It's definitely uncommon for true morning sickness to return how it was for you in the first trimester per se. Like usually most of the time, you know, it's not going to come back like full force truly like that. But what can happen is as you get closer and closer to labor, you might get some upset stomachs. Nausea is very, very common in those last uh, few weeks, few days before labor. So that's definitely when we see it return most commonly. Now, like I said, it's not unheard of for moms in the third trimester to all of a sudden say, I feel like I did in the first trimester again. So it's definitely possible. I would also say too, if this is you and all of a sudden you're in the third trimester and you're like, you have true morning sickness, you might have a bug. So maybe get checked out by your provider as well because it might just be a really bad stomach bug because that's certainly something that can happen and very much does happen during pregnancy. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. 
This one says, I did it. And she sent like five, one, two, three, four, five exclamation points. <laughs> I had a fully natural birth on 218 after taking your natural series. I felt so prepared and used all your coping tools. Relaxing my jaw seriously was the most important. And that helped me get to 10 centimeters. I felt so prepared and as did my husband. And you settled my fears about pooping during labor. And when it happened, it really wasn't a big deal. Good. I'm glad because it's really not, guys. It's really not. Thank you for what you do. I don't think I would have been able to do it without your natural series course. Oh, love it. If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylibernurse.com slash courses to check out our three online on-demand birth courses. Next question is, does lightning crotch mean labor is near? Not necessarily, unfortunately. Uh, lightning crotch really doesn't mean anything except that it is normal. Lightning crotch is one of those unfortunate symptoms that almost all pregnant women experience at some point in their pregnancy. Sometimes it happens as early as the second trimester, late second trimester, third trimester. People start having those really sharp jabs in, right in the vagina. <laughs> um, it kind of just takes you by surprise. It's thought to be the shifting of baby, okay, because we've got some nerves down there near the cervix, near the pelvis. So when baby kind of shifts around or you're walking, you might kind of hit one of those twinges and have a little little jab down there. It's not fun. And it doesn't necessarily mean that labor's near. Now, what I have heard of is that lightning crotch gearing up, like you might have a little bit more lightning crotch more so towards the end of your third trimester nearing labor because baby is kind of engaging into your pelvis. But again, lightning crotch is going to happen regardless if you're going to go into labor the next day or not. All right, the next question is swelling. When to be concerned about swelling? This is a good one to answer in summertime because it can be confusing if you're pregnant in the summer, especially if you live where I do in North Carolina, where it's so darn hot outside that you can't see straight. <laughs> um, and it's really humid and you just are always swollen. Okay, swelling. If it is sudden or if it is severe, especially if it's happening in your hands and your face, that is when we want to be definitely concerned about it. So if all of a sudden you wake up, you're like, I feel like I look like a balloon and I did not look like this yesterday, call your provider. Another thing to look out for is if your swelling really isn't changing very much when you wake up in the morning. So it's pretty common during pregnancy to have increase in swelling over the course of the day. By the time you go to bed and you put your feet up, you're like, oh, <laughs> a little swollen. But by the morning time, once your feet have kind of been up all night, that swelling, maybe it doesn't completely go away, but it's significantly reduced. If you're noticing that it's really not going much of anywhere, that can be definitely a cause uh, for concern. The fact is diet, the weather outside, how much water you're drinking, there's a lot of factors that can influence your swelling. And what we want to be on the lookout for when it comes to swelling is something called preeclampsia because increase in swelling all of a sudden can be a big red flag for preeclampsia. And we want to be on top of that. We want to make sure we're not getting into that. So if you are concerned about your swelling, if it's all of a sudden really, really severe and comes out of nowhere, definitely be sure to talk to your provider. All right, I think I'm on question number nine. Yes, 
who exactly do you communicate your birth plan to and when to talk about your birth plan with your provider? Good question. I would suggest to you somewhere in that third trimester, maybe once you hit 35, 36 weeks, once you're starting to go to these appointments weekly, uh, you bring a copy of your birth plan with you and go over some of the things that are important to you with your provider. One of your episodes, I almost said episodes, (laughs) at one of your clinic visits. You can certainly do it before then and that is perfectly fine, but I would say do it by 36-ish weeks. And your provider, okay, your practice, they are good people to communicate this with, along with once you get to the hospital, birth center, wherever you're going to birth, you bring a copy with you as well and communicate those needs and hand a copy of your birth plan over to the nurses who are going to take care of you. Because if you are delivering in a hospital, the person who is going to be adhering mostly to your birth plan in terms of like doing the things that make the things on your birth plan happen are your nurses. So that's a person you definitely need to be handing the copy of the birth plan to. And we'll put it in your chart. I'll read it personally myself, and then I'll stick it in your chart for anybody who's coming on shift who, you know, is coming to take care of you. They can look at it too. All right. Next question is about VBAC. What are the best things I can do to increase my VBAC success? Whenever I talk about VBACs, I always talk about the importance of partnering with a VBAC-friendly provider. And that is someone who has a nice high VBAC success rate. They are open to answering questions about you having a VBAC. There are certainly providers out there who are not VBAC friendly and they are not open to having much discussion about VBACs unless you meet, you know, XYZ criteria. Okay. And that would be someone I would describe as not VBAC friendly. But yes, that is tip number one. Make sure you're with the right provider. And tip number two is Try your very hardest to go into spontaneous labor, but know that you can still have a successful induction if you're planning for a VBAC. Your chances of having a successful VBAC will be a little bit higher if you go into spontaneous labor. So I'm going to encourage you to do all of the things to try and prep your cervix for spontaneous labor and prep your cervix for a possible medical induction. All right, I've got two more questions here to go over. The second to last one is about nipple stimulation. Nipple stimulation during sex with my partner. That won't induce labor, right? Here's what I have to say about this. Nipple stimulation will not induce labor if your body's not ready to go into labor. It's not gonna just magically throw your body into labor. What it will do is it will put you into labor if your body is ready to go into labor. And it also might prep your cervix for labor if you are nearing term, but as long as you have a low-risk pregnancy, nipple stimulation during sex is perfectly fine and will not cause you to have preterm labor. Final question is, do you feel baby move during labor? You should. Yes, you definitely should. In fact, if you are in early labor and you're feeling your baby move a lot less, that is an indication to come to the hospital and get checked out for sure. We still want that baby to be moving just as much as it should be moving if you're not in labor. That's still a sign that something might not be right and we need to check a little closer. So yes, you should feel your baby move during labor. Sometimes I would say people, especially deep in labor as they're 
contracting heavily and it's pretty painful, they might feel their baby move less because they're more focused on the pain, but you still, if you're in tune with your movements, should be feeling your baby move just as much during labor as not in labor. All right. Well, that is it for this episode. Next week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast is another solo episode for you guys. I'm going to be talking about itching during pregnancy. Yes, it's a whole episode on itching and what's normal and what's not because it's not just about cholestasis because I know that usually, well, you guys, some people might have not heard this episode, but I know I've talked about this on the podcast before that if you are having itching on your hands and your feet, that is a sign of cholestasis, but there's also other things Um, that can be itchy, and other itching-related subjects to talk about during pregnancy. So that is next week's episode. I will see you guys then. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver.